dear fellow redeemed. We'll consider briefly our gospel reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. And as we begin today, um, maybe an easy place to start is on the front cover of your bulletin. If you look on the front cover, there at the top it has a little image, a little graphic that you may have seen online or in our email um, that talks about you know, what we're talking about over the next couple of weeks. We're talking about the focus that, that Jesus had as he went on his way to Jerusalem, which takes up the bulk of the Gospel of Luke. And then just to the right of that, it says, Divine Service, Pentecost 6, July 17, 2022. Or if you were to page through our hymnal, in the very beginning of the, of the book, you would see there's the service. And we come here for a worship service, which kind of opens up the question. We call it divine service. Even our hymnal calls it the service, and we understand that this is a worship service. Worship services are at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock on Sunday. But do we stop and think about that? Stop and think about that term service. Because most of the time when it comes up in, in our vernacular, in our way of speaking, we maybe thank somebody for their service, or we go to a restaurant and we say the service was excellent or the service was uh, not quite so excellent, but they were overworked and understaffed. So why do we call it a worship service? Because in our gospel reading, in our gospel lesson, there is Martha who is doing all the serving. She is providing quite the service, being quite the host, and being very hospitable to Jesus. You would think, you would think of all people, she would be the one recognized for her service. Martha, this chicken is fantastic. <laughs> Martha, there is not a speck of dust in this place, and that peach cobbler, man, <laughs> hit the spot. But that's not where Jesus goes. He doesn't, he doesn't talk down all that much to what Martha is doing. But he says when he talks about service, when he talks about the service that he received at that house, the service that he received was of lesser importance than the service he was providing. We call it divine service. We come for a worship service. Our hymnal calls it the service. And we gather today, as every Sunday, around the Lord's table, where he serves us. Because that's the point, now isn't it? It's something that we could talk about um, nearly every Sunday, and it would never get old. The reality is that Jesus is here among his people today to serve you, to serve me. To serve you and me with the one thing that is needful, the one thing that will make a difference, the one thing that you can hold on to with the knowledge that this Jesus through his word and through his serving of you, this Jesus holds on to you. That's the beautiful truth that Jesus reveals for us today when we talk about Martha's service and, and Mary's service. Because you could picture it. You know, Jesus is coming to town and... Um, and he didn't call ahead all that, all that far ahead. <laughs> he said, sent somebody ahead maybe and said, I'll be there in about 15 minutes. And there's Martha and Mary and Lazarus maybe kicked back after a long week and um, watching the, the football game, who knows. 
And then, oh no, we've got a visitor. And not just, not just any visitor, we've got the Son of God as a visitor, and he's bringing um, a dozen other of his friends, a dozen other friends for dinner. Could you imagine the scramble? I mean, I, I, you've probably been there. I know we have. Where somebody texts us, do you mind if we stop in? Sure, we haven't seen you in, in a while. Come on by. When can we expect you? Eh, about six minutes. We just got off the highway. <laughs> Panic. Because as, as human beings, as good hosts, we want to serve the guests who come to us. As good hosts, we understand that we are providing a service, and the service that we provide isn't just, isn't just a nice meal because they could get that at a restaurant, and it's not just an empty bed in the guest room because they could get that at a hotel, but that the service we provide demonstrates the value and the care that we have for this person. That the service we provide is an act of love to say that I'm glad you came by, I'd love to have you again, and let me just demonstrate a little bit, a little bit of the care and the relationship that we have with one another. That's the service that Martha wants to provide, and I'm sure Mary was running around and doing some of that as well. But then when Jesus shows up, it's like everything changes. When Jesus shows up, he doesn't say, well, um, I'm going to put my feet up, and I'm going to have a refreshing beverage, and uh, let's sit and chat. When Jesus shows up, he sits down to teach. He knows that he has a limited period of time with these people, and he is on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. He knows that his time is short. And he's not so much concerned about the score of the football game that they were just watching, and he's not so much concerned about the other um, details of life and reminiscing about the life that they have had together over the past decade or two of knowing each other. He says, there's one thing that we need, and that is to be focused on this word. There's one thing that we need because he knows he is not going to be there visibly with his people and he knows that the days and weeks ahead are going to be some of the most difficult of their lives as well as his. It would be shortly after this visit that Lazarus uh, falls sick and, um, and, and dies. It would be shortly after that that Jesus would raise him from the dead and talk about going from like a funeral to the resurrection in the space of five days. And then not too long after that, when they would start to get word, the Pharisees who want to kill Jesus also want to kill Lazarus because um, we can't have that kind of evidence walking around. Jesus knows all of that is coming. And so he is absolutely focused on making sure that his friends, these people who are fellow believers in the faith, he is absolutely focused on making sure that these people have been strengthened have been taught and have heard that word so that they can, they can live and survive and that their faith won't be absolutely shattered when their life comes crashing down. Martha doesn't have that benefit of foresight. All she sees is Jesus is here and whenever Jesus comes, we want to do the best that we can because we love him, because we care about him, because the way that we serve him demonstrates the care and concern and the value of this relationship that we have with him. And Martha's an easy one to sympathize with. I would never want to just 
say, Martha bad, Mary good, all right, go on your way, be a Mary. Because you see Martha's heart. You see Martha's effort. And perhaps you even see it reflected in your own life. You see Martha's heart and you see Martha's effort in, in even your own life and saying, well, I want to make sure that my kids have the opportunities that they need when they need them. I'll sacrifice whatever it takes to make sure that, um, that, that we can get them into the good school. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll stay up late and do my work after they go to bed so I have a little bit more time with them. Martha is an easy one to sympathize with, and, and her motives are in a good place. She wants to serve the one she loves. And you and I know that as well. Perhaps it's even in participation here with your church family. We want to serve those we love. Where we gather together for, for funerals or for other celebrations. We want to demonstrate the care and concern that we have for one another. You know this from your own life, from the way that you might serve those that you love and that you care about, the sacrifices that you make, the sacrifices that nobody else sees and everybody kind of takes for granted because they don't know how much it really um, depended on your own effort. And there's Martha doing all she can to show this Jesus how much she cares about him. And who would look down on that? Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't. But he does say, well, Martha, time out. <laughs> the dishes that you're cleaning, we're going to be using, and then you'll have to clean them again. The floor that you're vacuuming is going to have dog hair on it again. The meal that we eat, well, we'll be hungry in a day or so anyway. But what Mary has will not be taken from her. And put in contrast, the two right next to each other. Here's Martha, totally consumed with what she sees on the news, totally consumed with love for her family, totally engrossed in serving those that she cares about and making sure that they know that they have somebody who cares about them. There's Martha, even going as far as to, um, to pick up the extra shift for the overtime pay so that the family would be a little bit better off. And there's Mary. At this point, um, Mary has done her work and she has uh, got herself cleaned up a little bit and Jesus is here and she sits down. The meal isn't even cooked yet and there is Mary. And Martha, I get it. Come on, Jesus, can't you just let her help me for like 10 more minutes, then we'll have everything set, I can pop it in the oven and we don't have to worry about it. And what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is needed. In fact, Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. It's entirely possible that you have spent your time and your energy and your waking hours serving those that you love. But when Jesus says you are worried and upset about many things, that perhaps reveals the, some of the motive behind Martha's actions, or at the very least, gives the bigger picture. 
And what would he say for us? They are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is needful. You're worried and upset about many things. You're worried about um, the politics and the warfare in this world. But one thing is needful. You're worried and upset about the, the family strife at the last get-together, and you're wondering what the next one is going to look like. But one thing is needful. You're worried and upset about, um, about what you see on the news and the inflation that they talk about there and the inflation that you feel as you kind of reconfigure your family budget a little bit. And it's worrying and it's upsetting, but Jesus says, this one thing is needful. You're worried and upset when perhaps you take a big picture view of God's work here in the Toledo area. And you say, well, what could have been, what should have been, what could be? But one thing is needful. You're worried and upset, worried about what kind of a world your kids are going to be growing up in, and upset about the health concerns of your aging parents. But this one thing is needful. Because this one thing provides all that we need. I guess that's the other way of putting it, that this one thing provides all that we need. That the kids don't don't need the, all the advanced degrees, especially if it means forsaking their faith. That when Jesus says, fear the one who can kill you, who can toss you body and soul into hell, he's serious. When Jesus says that this worrying and fretting is characteristic of those who only have this world to offer and this world to have, but one thing is needful for you, dear Christian. It's not, it's not a consolation prize. It's not like, well, dear Christian, um, just devote your life to the Lord, and even if, even if your life falls apart, and even if it doesn't work out the way that you wanted, well, in the end, you'll still win because you'll get to go to heaven. Consolation prize. But that's not the way he talks at all. The way he talks is he says, dear Christian, all of your working and all of your striving and all of your cares and all of your concerns need to lead to this point. Need to lead the, to this point that my Jesus has given me everything. That my Jesus has given me his righteousness. That how much of your striving and working is predicated on either worry about tomorrow or because your own sense of self is bound up in doing well. But this Jesus has give you, given you everything. How much of our, our striving and our working is driven along by the fear and uncertainty that we see before us, that we see in the news, that we feel in our own hearts, the disruption that we feel there, how much of our working and striving is driven along out of fear and uncertainty and worry? When Jesus says, dear Christian, do you realize that you have it all? Do you realize that you have it all? How much of our, even our, our effort at work, especially if it's, um, if it's turned into a long week or the manager is really um, making life difficult, how much of that effort is just to say, well, I'm going to punch the clock and do my thing, and maybe they'll leave me alone? Rather than recognizing 
that even if I am to suffer in my vocation, in my occupation, even if it provides difficulty that I don't want right now, but even if I should suffer in what I do, at the same time I can rejoice because my Lord has given me everything. That when he says, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her, he's really bringing home the fact and repeating for you and for me that Mary isn't choosing the consolation prize. That everything else will pass away. That all of the effort and all the reputation will be, and all the meal will be gone within the day. All the effort and reputation will be gone within a generation or two. But what Mary has will not be taken away from her. And what you have will not be taken away from you. That this Jesus, that this Jesus offered his everything, not just punching the clock on a, on a 9 to 5 or a, or a 10 to 6 or whatever his shift may have been, but he offered his everything from the moment his life began all the way through saying, it is finished. He offered everything. And he, he even bypassed some of the, the things that we take for granted. Foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Because he was so absolutely focused on making sure that you and I would have this one thing, this one thing that only we needed. The one thing that we needed is this truth that Jesus has given you his righteousness. This one thing that is needed is the truth that despite your own sense of shame or guilt or not measuring up, Jesus knows that. And he carried it. And he said, dear Christian, you have this righteousness that is from outside of you. It was poured over your head at baptism and placed into your mouth at Holy Communion. You have this righteousness that is given to you in a tangible, personal way so that you know, you can know that your God smiles upon you, that the God of the universe certainly knows what's happening in Ukraine, that the God of the universe certainly knows how you scrimp and save to meet the budget, and the God of the universe wants you to know above all else, not that he's just going to take care of you tomorrow, but that he has taken care of you already. That the God of the universe broke the power of death so that you can be absolutely certain that even if it is a time of sickness and you happen to be hospitalized like some of our members, and even if it is a time of, of passing away, as we had with Dolores and now with Joan Eubank, that what they have and what they shared among God's people here hasn't been taken away from them. And that the earthly possessions, they'll be distributed according to the will that the family who remembers them will remember them for another generation. But the life they share with Jesus now is a life that is forever, a life that Jesus began at the baptismal font that he sustains through his word and that he continues forever. That is the one thing needful. The one thing that you and I need is, is to spend time with that word of God so that Jesus can use his powerful word to do his work of building and strengthening what will last forever. Because Mary and Martha, I mean, <laughs> they probably knew their catechism. It would be another 1,500 years before the catechism was written, but they knew their stuff. They were already believers. They could have shrugged and said, I know that, Jesus. Um, why don't you come carve the turkey so we can all eat? 
And Jesus said, I know <laughs> that you know these things, but you need to spend some time with this word so that your faith can be strengthened. You need to spend some time with this word so that Jesus Christ can accomplish his good work and remind you in a personal and individual way that this Jesus has carried your sin and has promised you life with him forever. We'll talk about that more a little bit um, in the coming weeks as we talk about what, is, what does ministry look like here at Resurrection and here in the Toledo area. Because when Jesus says there's one thing needful, one thing that we need, there's still a lot of people who need what you have and who are chasing what won't last. And Jesus has given us the time and the people and the energy to say to even one more, here, here at this place is the one thing you need. Jesus has given us the time and the people and the energy to say here at this place is where Jesus will give you what, what you need. To spend a few moments at the feet of Jesus and to let him do what only he can do through this powerful word. To bring home to your heart exactly his truth of grace and forgiveness and righteousness. That we don't have to spend all of our time chasing what will eventually disappear. Although that may be good in its own right. But there's still something better. Time with Jesus. Amen. Amen.